All right, this is Engaging the Culture. Uh, my name is Rick Jones, and thank you for being here tonight. Uh, if this is, if, if this is your, if, is this your, if it's your first time, raise your hand. Okay, I'm just going to apologize right now so I don't have to do that the rest of the semester for whatever happens. I'm sorry. Um, I'm sure I didn't mean it that way, but I probably did. And so we won't, we're not going to worry about that. Uh, but just a few structural things is, is there's a, hopefully you got this, this document. It's, it was out there on the table. And, um, and again, this is for those for it's your first time. If it's on the PowerPoint slide, it'll be here unless it's a video or it's a picture, then it doesn't show up here. So anything that's up there is on your paper. And so you, you, know, you don't necessarily feel the need to write down everything. You'll have the structure and the outline and the nuts and bolts to what we're, what we're talking about. Um, and each class will be like that. Uh, this semester, uh, if, some, if, you, if you miss a class and you're wanting the copies, we're actually gonna have this uploaded onto the engaging the culture page so you could just go there and get it and print it off instead of saying hey rick i asked you three weeks in a row for you to bring that and and then i don't you know i don't have to you know i got a bad heart i got all kinds of things that are going on and so anyway so you'll have to have grace and mercy i'm hopefully you'll have grace and mercy with me um again this class is engaging the culture as you can see up there which it probably doesn't show up that well. But anyway, I mean, literally the purpose for this class is for equipping you to engage the culture with the cause of Christ and to further his kingdom wherever your feet take you. Um, probably by the time we get to the end of this 11 weeks, you'll see this multiple times. You'll want to throw up. Okay, so I'm tired of seeing that, right? But because the last two semesters, does anybody remember what the, the key thing was? If you're not actively cultivating a biblical worldview, then you're passively absorbing a false one, okay? If you're not actively cultivating a biblical worldview, then you're passively absorbing a false one. So this is going to be the one for us. It's equipping. Um, certainly the aspects of the church is we are to bring the body of Christ together to worship our Lord, our God, our King, because He is worthy but it's also for equipping the body of Christ to go and to do the work of Christ. And so, I mean, those are just the major pieces of what the church is. It's really pretty simple. I think a lot of times we complicate that and we just add programs and a lot of stuff to it. Um, worship and equipping. Now, equipping encompasses a lot. There's no doubt about that. It encompasses a lot. Um, but anyway, so you'll, you'll have some, some opportunities to go forth. Uh, I'll tell you, one of the things, well, before we do that, let's just go on to the next slide. Um, so semester topics, some things that we'll be talking about over the next 11 weeks, and this is literally going to run the span of two semesters is what we'll do. We've got 11 weeks, and then it's something like 52 weeks the next semester, or at least it feels like that once you get to the end of it. But it is. So these are some of the topics that we're going to be covering uh, literally next week. We've got two weeks on, it's called Tactics, and it's this book here. Um, we're just going to go through quickly through the first half of it. You don't have to have the book. Uh, we sell it in the bookstore. It's cheaper than Amazon, by the way, and they're on the front. As soon as you walk in there, it's, it's a great book to have, and I, I won't say any more about that, but using going through the next two weeks on this tactics, it's going to help you go and have conversations about what you're learning. Because if we're just taking in information and we're not using it out there in the culture that we live and we work and we strive in, man, we're, just, we're wasting our time. We are just wasting our time. And so it's important that you what you learn here tonight is that you take and you learn that and you share that. You find people to share that with. Um, so I'd encourage you to do that. Uh, so just real quick. So who last semester, who was here last semester or the semester before? I guess we got one. Okay, we got a few. All right, here's, here's what I want you to do. And this may be really fun or it may be really awkward and, and short and you're like, yeah, don't do that again, Rick. Um, 
But what I want you to do, especially for those, if you've been in the class before, I want you to just take a few minutes at your table or back there or talk to yourselves, all of my island people back there. Look, I, that's where I would be sitting if I was in the class. But I want you to talk at your table about the things that maybe some things that stuck out to you from the last semester or two. And how did you use that? How did you use that information, whether you're at work, whether you're in your family, whether you're at church, whether you're amongst other people, how did you use some of the things that you learned? And some of you are like, I don't, I, <laughs> Don, I don't even know what we learned. <laughs> did, you, did you teach? So anyway, take a few minutes and just have that discussion about how did you use what you learned? And maybe you didn't use it at all. And that's, well, it's not okay, but that'll make a short conversation. But anyway, go. Okay, take about a minute and wrap up. Okay, let's bring it back in. So was there, is there any, any tables want to share? Was there, was there something good, some way that you used it? Maybe it turned out well. Maybe it, maybe it didn't turn out well. I mean, sometimes those are the best learning opportunities. So anybody that they had a good experience? Maybe they just had an experience. Let's just leave the good out, okay? Because sometimes it's, anyway. No, Bart? That's good. That's good. Hey, you know, the conversations that you're going to have, they're not always comfortable. I mean, they're not always comfortable, but they're always beneficial. They're always beneficial. Even, even if you're like, man, that was a disaster. Even in that, there's, there's, there's benefit. You know, you get used to having these conversations and, um, and we, we need to get used to it. We need to get comfortable having conversations and even, uncomfortable conversations. Okay. So good. So again, so what are some other topics? I didn't work through those. We're going to talk about what is culture, uh, Christianity and culture, the history. Uh, we're going to look at Christianity and culture, a plan, um, thinking and speaking clearly. Oh my gosh, that is just like, that's a huge one. Um, uh, technology, arts and entertainment, the value of human life. So these are also the, the topics that we've got slated um, that we will talk about this semester. And then, like I said, the second semester, we'll finish up the whole process with that. Uh, this is a book, Understanding the Culture. I'm working really, I mean, this is almost a blueprint that I'm working out of. Um, there'll be a lot added to it. There'll be a lot taken away, but that's it. In case you want to know, we sell this in the bookstore too, by the way. Okay, another shameless plug. Um, and so it's a great book. It's, it's a textbook for sure. Um, and so if you just got an aversion to textbooks you probably don't want to get this one and but anyway so it's all going to be good uh, and so those are the topics that we're going to cover oh sexuality marriage and creation care and so those will kind of finish up um, I don't know if the creation care will get to but these will be all the topics that we will discuss uh, as we go through this semester so the introduction right it's not enough that we know the word of God we must live it out in such a way that others will be drawn to that which is good and true and beautiful, Jesus Christ. And man, it's just so important that, that we live it well. I mean, man, you can have all of the Bible knowledge in the world and you can have all that comes with that. But man, if you're a jerk to people, man, it's, you, you've, given, bless you, you've given it all away. 
you just, you've given it all away. I mean, I just don't know how many discussions I have where people are like, ah, oh, well, so-and-so and so-and-so, they did this, they did that to me. And, and again, literally, I was just having a conversation with a young man yesterday, and, and he didn't come right out and say it, but he was it's just kind of saying, well, you know, I think you're being kind of unloving. It's, it's, it's really what he was saying. And so I said, oh, okay. Well, what would it look like for me to be loving towards you? You know, instead of defending myself and, you know, one, because I, I know I can come across pretty abrasive and, and forward. And um, so what would that look like for, for me to, to love you the way you think? Well, if you would just spend, you know, some time each week with me and we could talk about these ideas. We can talk about these ideas. And I'm like, okay. Read this book, chapter one. We'll get together next week. Well, um, I'm in New Jersey next week. Okay. I'm available next week, the week after that. I'll meet with you then. Uh, you know, my job is, I kind of got some crazy hours, and really, like 7.30 in the morning might be the only time I can meet. I can meet you at 7.30 in the morning. Not on Wednesdays, but any other day, I, I can meet you at 7.30 in the morning. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, sure. Gave him my number. And so we'll see. What did I just do with this young man? I made myself available. He gave me the standard of what he thought love was. And you know what? I could meet that. I can meet that standard. And so hopefully I'll get a chance to meet that standard. But it's just those ideas of, man, we can have it all here. But if we're being jerks about it, Man, that's, that's not part of God's kingdom. That doesn't bring glory to Christ, and that does not extend his kingdom wherever we go. So it's just, man, be sweet, be loving, be kind. Um, consider others more highly than yourself. Right? James 2.26 says, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. And again, we don't. You know, I, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but, you know, we don't do works for salvation. We do our works because of our salvation. But it's, we've got to have it. We've got to have the works that goes along with the word. So it's important that we see the big picture, right? Don't confuse the moment and the story. Don't confuse the moment and the story. And what I mean by that is, is, you know, it's just, if you're on social media and if you're on Instagram, you know, everybody shows the picture of their food or their feet at the beach and all that other stuff. And, and you're like, man, they're, they're living large. They got it going on. It's just one picture. It's one moment in time. You know, what they're not showing you is their blistered back from the sun where they just got burnt to a crisp. Right? It's just one moment in time. And even we can turn around and we can look and say, man, the world is such a mess today. It's a mess. Don't confuse the moment with the story. Because the story is this grand meta narrative, right? And God's story, it's, it's easy. It's easy. It's creation. It's fall. It's redemption. It's restoration. Again, this gentleman I was talking to, he was just trying to nitpick some verses and stuff. And I said, it's because you're, you're confusing the moment and the story. What do you mean? And so I just shared with him what I just shared with you. I said, you've you got to look at the whole picture. I said, you're just trying to nitpick one verse that you're reading wrong anyway. But the whole story is, man, God loves so much that he created. God loves so much that he's willing to redeem us, right, because of the fall. He loves us so much that he's going to bring restoration, not just in the future hope to come in eternality, but today he's restoring things today, and we're to be a part of that restoration. And so don't confuse the moment, and the story. And again, when we get in the storms of life, it's, it's hard to see anything but the moment. I get that. And you're like, oh my, 
I am never going to make it through this. How does anybody make it through this? And that's the moment, and it is painful. And, you know, and I'm not downplaying those things. They're real. It's a moment. And God will never leave you nor forsake you. He's with you in the storms, and he's with you on the mountaintops. Don't confuse the moment and the story. You need to see the whole puzzle, not just the pieces of the puzzle. Right, First Chronicles 12, 32, I love this verse. Of the sons of Issachar, men who understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do. Man, they understood the times they were living in. And when we have proper understanding, then we can know the right action to do. Because, man, you know, we can be busy about all kinds of stuff, but none of it has any impact. Right? Busyness doesn't equal holiness. And so we need to understand, right? We need to understand the times so we can know what to do. Again, Bart was talking about the He Gets Us commercials. That's like, you know, it's important that we talk about that so we can understand it, so we can speak properly to it. Everything's a conversation, everything's an ability. And I, again, I teach a class of students on Wednesday mornings, and you know, a student asked me this morning to do something. It was just like, oh, just kill me. No, just, just kill me. You'd do me a favor. And, and this is what she asked me. She goes, Mr. Rick, I need you to watch the Barbie movie. And I'm like, oh, please stop. No, don't do that to me. Well, I need to know your opinion on it. I can give you my opinion on it. I, I can give it to you, trust me. And some of it may even be right. And I'm like, oh. And so, I mean, I was desperate. I was desperate. And so, man, I'm pulling up my phone and I'm like, man, I know I just listened to a podcast. Oh, Elisa Childers was just doing that. And I send it out to the class here. Listen to what Elisa says about it. I, I say what she says, but don't, don't make me watch that movie, right? We have to understand the times that we live in so we can know what to do. Scripture calls us to that. It calls us to that. Questions so far? All right, Christ's redemption. Man, it's personal. And again, I think one of the, the struggles that we have today in the church and certainly with the young people is, is, man, we talk about the gospel a lot, and we should. And we should, and it's personal. It's Jesus dying on the cross for my sins, buried and rose from the grave three days later, that I can have eternal life through him and him alone. But man, God is calling us to so much more. He is calling us to so much more. And we get to the point that's like, yep, yeah, pray to receive Christ, check that one off. And then we move on. That's not God's plan, that's not restoration. It's personal, and it's intimate, and God knows us each by name, right? Redemption is personal, but it's also cultural. Man, we should be desiring to bring God's culture to a, man, a desperate world. It's a cultural aspect. Man, and you're going to hear that word culture, cultural so much. Again, that's going to be another thing, and you're like, I'm going to throw up the next time he says that. We live in culture. And again, we got a lesson coming up that's going to the third, fourth week, and that's what it is. What is culture? And so we'll talk more about that then. But it's also creational. Man, God's redemption is creational. When I say that, what I'm talking about is I'm talking about the created world. Man, he, we are to care for the world around us. That's part of redemption. You can go to Romans chapter 8. Man, it says the world is groaning under the weight of sin that we put on it. But he's going to restore that. And so it's not just personal. It is, and thank God, because he would die for each one of us individually. If that's, and that's what he did do. It's not the group. It's each of us individually. And then we, there's the redemption culturally, and then there's the redemption creationally. We good? All right. Ideas have consequences. That's another one that you'll hear a lot of, right? It's our responsibility. Well, hang on, that's not yet. Uh, we must 
We must live out our faith, not just in our conduct, but with biblical ideas and godly actions. But with biblical ideas and godly actions. Look, the best way to beat a bad idea is to have a better idea. Is to have a better idea. You know, I, I, can, I can complicate things. I mean, I, this is one of my giftings, right? And so I could just take something. And I, I got two giftings, right? Kevin and I talk about this often, right? If I'm working on the car and it's a two-hour job, I can turn it into an eight-hour job every time, right? It's, it's a special talent I got. But this other one is, is this making things difficult? And so I'm working on this thing, and I'm doing it. And my, and my wife comes out and she goes, hey, what are you doing? That, so I tell her, and she goes, how long have you been working on it? Oh, about, about an hour or so. Well, well, what would happen if you just did this? Get away from me. What do you mean, just do this? Right? And so she leaves, and I'm like, yeah. Man, let's not push bad ideas. If we want to beat a bad idea, we have to offer better ideas. And literally, that's what this class is going to be about, is offering better ideas. And God's ideas are the best. I know that in my life. I know that in my family. And because God, his character demands that he only does good and he does what is best all the time, his ideas are always going to be the best. Now, I've had my moments where I'm like, hey, God, let me help you with that. And, and right, you know that never ends well. It never ends well. We have to offer better ideas. Right? God speaks to the big issues of our day. He speaks to the big issue of our day. Well, does the Bible talk about transgenderism? Yeah, it does. Right? And we're going to see some of that as we kind of go through this semester. It deals with all of the issues. If it's not by a specific verse, it's by a principle. It's by God's character. And we can deal with every issue that's out there today. Right? Marriage, economy. Justice, government, identity, education, music, the arts, whatever it is, man, God's ideas are best. And I think sometimes, and what we're going to see, <clears throat> excuse me, as we go through these things, is we're going to think, no, I think that's a pretty good idea. And then as we begin to flesh it out, you're going to like, oh, wow, that's, that's, that's problematic. But unless we talk about it and think it through, we don't, we don't know those things. Okay, so that'll be some of the process that we're going to be doing. Um, again, the Bible is relevant to today, uh, and it's still relevant to today's culture. And then this is a video. You'll see this is, comes from, um, what would you say? And you can go to that website. They got all kinds of great ones that are on there. And um, so we'll take a few minutes and listen. Is the Bible still relevant today? You're in a conversation, and someone says, the Bible just isn't relevant anymore. Our world has moved beyond it. What would you say? The Bible's influence on the world as we know it has been so profound and so thorough that it's easy to forget just how much it has shaped our understanding of science, morality, politics, literature, music, language, and so many other aspects of life and culture. And in many places around the world, the Bible is more influential now than ever. In other words, when someone says that the Bible just isn't relevant anymore, they're just wrong. And here are three reasons why. Number one, the Bible shaped and continues to shape the Western mind. The Westerners often take things like political freedom, human rights, orphanages, hospitals, women's rights, care for the poor, and opposition to things like slavery and pederasty for granted. We shouldn't. As atheist historian Tom Holland points out in his book, Dominion, every one of these things was birthed from Christianity's influence on the world. Quote, the idea that every human being possessed an equal dignity was not remotely a self-evident truth. A Roman would have laughed at it. The origins of this principle lay not in the French Revolution, nor in the Declaration of Independence, nor in the Enlightenment, but in the Bible. And that's not all. Echoes of the Bible and its ideas about morality and human dignity can be seen in the works of Augustine, Chaucer, Shakespeare, Milton, Dickens, Dostoevsky, Melville, Mark Twain, and others, including modern writers like Margaret Atwood and J.K. Rowling. 
The very languages we speak were shaped by the Bible as translators were forced to stretch English, German, and other European tongues to fully express the meaning communicated in the Bible's original Greek and Hebrew languages. The Bible, writes philosopher and author Vishal Manguwadi, made the modern West a reading and thinking civilization. Number two, modern science is a product of biblical assumptions. Most of the founders of modern science were Christians, men like Blaise Pascal, Johannes Kepler, Isaac Newton, Robert Boyle, and Gregor Mendel believed their discoveries about nature bore witness to the glory of God. And as philosopher of science Stephen Meyer argues, they believed certain things about the universe that made science possible in the first place. The scientific method itself relies on certain assumptions about the world that came from the Bible. This is why empirical science only emerged out of and flourished in the Christian West. The Bible describes a world that was made by God to be intelligible and orderly. As Meyer says, because we have an intelligence that has as its source the intelligence that built the world, we can understand the world. This is why we expect consistency and order in nature, and why we expect, as humans, to be able to study and comprehend that consistency and order. Together, these assumptions form the basis of modern science. Far from replacing the Bible, science as we know it owes its very existence to the Bible. Number three, the Bible is the most influential book on the planet and will be more influential in the future. Today, there are nearly 2.4 billion Christians on earth, more than any other religion. According to LifeWay Research, the number of evangelicals alone has tripled since 1970, and 77% of them live in the global south. By 2050, the number of Christians globally is expected to top 3 billion, and a third of them will live in Africa. In less than 10 years, there will be more Christians in China than in the United States, and these Christians will want Bibles. So by 2025, LifeWay predicts that 110 million Bibles will be printed every year. That's 15 million more than are currently printed each year. The Bible has been translated into over 700 languages, and sometime after 2038, Wycliffe Bible Translators expects a Bible to be available in every written language on Earth. In other words, the Bible has never been more influential on the world's population than it is right now. Though it may have fallen out of favor in the West, we tend to forget that Western assumptions about life and the world, about justice and human rights, were built on biblical ideas. If current trends hold, it's not the Bible, but dismissive ideas about the Bible that will become increasingly irrelevant. So the next time someone says that the Bible is no longer relevant, here are three things to remember. Number one, the Bible shaped and continues to shape the Western mind. Number two, modern science is a product of biblical assumptions. Number three, the Bible is the most influential book on the planet and will be more influential in the future. What do you think of that? Thoughts? This, this floor, thank you, Trené. Thank you so much. <laughs> Hang on. What's that? Matthew, were you going to say something? Uh, I was just going to say that I knew about the, uh, the spread of the gospel there in Africa, but mm -hmm. I didn't know of China. That yeah. Was, that was hey, one of the hottest places for the salvation right now, Iran. It is just gangbusters. People are being saved left and right in Iran. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. We can't even get missionaries into Iran. And man, I mean, literally, it's one of those things. I mean, if you think you're important and God needs you, we got no missionaries in Iran. And the gospel, huh? Well, it's technology, but, you know, even that stuff is controlled by the government. But it's, there's the story after story. I mean, there's Christians there, 
Iranians, Christians, and God is just using them. And there's, there's just incredible stories. Tom Holland, right, the atheist and the stuff that he says. Um, oh, let me back up before we do that. That's an example of don't confuse the moment with the story, right? Because we see Christianity in our little bubble here in the West, and we're thinking, what a train wreck. What a train wreck. Hang on a second, Bob. And so when we get to that, but when we start looking at, man, what is God doing? Right? He's not just working in America. He's working everywhere. Thank God for that. And we just see it's exploding. And so it's important that we stay connected to those things so we can. We don't get lost in the moment. And we keep the story, the big picture. Bob? Yeah. 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 And you, yeah. What's your What's your morality grounded in? And again, we've always got to go back to that. It's got to be grounded into something. And if you don't have an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving being, then there is no morals standard above which we can all apply and abide by. Um, but again, what I love is, I mean, you'll, you'll get these glimpses in, from some atheists, and like Tom Holland's one of them. He's like, we know that all of these things, it's because of Christianity. It's because of Christianity. And so I just, I love stuff like that because it keeps us in the big picture it keeps us in that grand story, God's meta narrative, and we can say, don't confuse the moment with the story. Because some, if we just look at the moment, oh man, you want to talk about despair? I get it. Let's keep the whole story that we keep that out front. So, creating culture, right? God has given us, He's given us the great commandment, He's given us the great commission. And he's given us the cultural commission. And no doubt everybody was pretty keyed in on the great commandment and the great commission. And unless you were just in the class last semester, you're like, I'm not sure about this cultural commission, this cultural mandate. Literally. Well, you know what? We're going to learn about that. We're going to learn a little bit about it today. And then in a couple of weeks, we'll, we'll go in the deeper man. Um, deeper into that. But again, it's all in Genesis chapter, uh, into chapter 1, 128, right? So, but we're going to look at that in a little bit. So we got creating culture. How do we create culture? Why do we create culture? Uh, Genesis 128 says, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 131 says, all that God created was very good. And that very good, the Hebrew word for that is tab mayad. And it's something that is exceedingly, abundantly, and measurably good that happiness is the result. That's very good. You know, and as a, as a granddad, this is just fun. You know, my, my son, he's got a Joseph and he's nine months old or something like that. And he he sends us this video, and he just, he stands up at the table. And man, my wife and I are just loving it, just watching this happen. And you know how it is, and, and then they let go, and then, you know, they, <laughs> they get all wobbly and everything, and then they hit the ground. But man, we were just overjoyed. There's something simple like that, and it's like, that's awesome. Thank you for sending that. It was very good. It was exceedingly, abundantly, immeasurably good that happiness was the natural result. That's what God's creation is intended to do. That's what God's creation is intended to do. So, Chuck Colson, out of How Now Shall We Live, this is, he says, Though the creation itself is very good, the task of exploring and developing its powers and potentialities, the task of building a civilization, God turns over to his image bearers. Underline that word potentialities. 
it becomes important when we talk about the cultural mandate or the cultural commission. Right? Potentialities. Because God, when he created everything, he created it very good. He didn't create it absolutely completed. He created everything with potential. And again, you know, I think about my kids. If you have kids, you'll, you'll understand this, right? They don't come out with their degrees and they're just ready to move out and, 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 right, and start their careers. I mean, there's all kinds of potential in that little child. It's our job as parents that we raise them up in the ways of the Lord and that we develop that potential and we grow that potential in them. I mean, man, our kids, you know, you're trying to figure out what do they do well. And sometimes, you know, I had one, you know, my, my youngest daughter, we knew she came out talking. We didn't have to explore that. She could talk the spots off a leopard. And I'm and still that way today. You know what she does? She's a counselor. And I'm like, I bet you that just kills you. She has to listen before she can talk. I love it. She thinks I'm a little sadistic and all of that, but that's okay. Right? And so, but we put our kids into all kinds of stuff. Just what are you good at? What do you have a passion about? And then once we found that, we encouraged that in them. And we tried to bring that potential out in them. Right? There's potentiality in everything that God created. He didn't create it absolutely completed. Questions? All right. Examples of potentiality, right? Dirt to pottery, right? God, God made dirt. Dirt don't hurt, right? And we use that and we make clay and we make pottery out of it. God gave us the dirt. We're supposed to bring the potentiality out of that dirt. All right, you got the sound of music. There, uh, um, I'll... Man, there's a guy named Andy Crouch. I'm just going to give this to you real quick, and then you can. It, this is this is worth. It's a YouTube video. It's it's not up on the screen or anything, and it won't be. But um, it's it's just really worth listening to. Uh, it's called Andy Crouch. C R O U C H. It's culture making, the good news, and changing culture. And there's a part one and there's a part two. And he's speaking at Biola University. It's about a 30-minute video. It's a talk that he's doing. Man, if you're a music person, you're going to love this, right? I'm not. But I still thought it was just amazing what this guy does in this video. And he's just talking about from sound to music. And so it was, it was pretty neat. So it's, it's, worth, it's worth listening to. Um, iron, iron to buildings, right? You get iron. You smelt it get steel out of it, you make buildings, that's flourishing. That's finding the potentiality in something and extending it to something else that will glorify God, right? Sun, water, oil, natural gas to energy. I mean, all of those things that God created with an incredible amount of potentiality in it. Our job as in the cultural commission is to bring all of that good potentiality out of what God created and to use it for, extent, for his glory and extending his kingdom. Everything God created had potentiality, and it still has potentiality. Even though it's under the curse, it still has potentiality. And so then here's one more thing, right? We'll take you through one more idea. Wheat field. Day three, God created wheat with all of the other vegetation and stuff. Now, I don't know anybody that just goes out to the wheat field and eats that. There may be some people. I just don't know anybody. And I'm, if, you're, if you're one of them, hey, amen, you don't, you don't have to admit to it or anything. But anyway, God created this wheat. There's a ton of potentiality in wheat. Why didn't he just... Make it grow loaves of bread. Because he made us stewards over his creation. We are involved in the process of bringing about the cultural mandate. I'm going to give you the wheat. What are you going to do with it? All right? So what do we do with it? The wheat brightens. We know it's ready to, to harvest. So we harvest the wheat. 
And we get the wheat berries off of the wheat. And that's when you kind of get all the chaff and everything off of it. That's what it looks like. And then we grind it up into flour. And we make bread. That's flourishing. That's flourishing, right? So we get the wheat. God gave us that, right? And we make the bread. That's flourishing. And God calls us in the cultural commission to do that with everything. The only thing you don't have to do it with is the stuff God didn't create. So you're off the hook there. But everything else, yeah. It's just like, what? What does he just say? And it's potentiality. He's calling us. We have literally got a culture at our fingertips that we are to influence and we are to bring flourishing out of. So whether it's our marriages, whether it's our families, right? whether it's our jobs, Music, education, man, we are to bring God's best ideas into that. You know, because when we talk about this whole idea, right, God gives us Genesis 1, we're in the garden. Genesis 1 and 2. The last chapter of the Bible, we're in a city. Everything in between, we get to create culture. We get to bring flourishing out in, in between 2 and 22. We get to bring that flourishing out. We get to bring that potentiality out. That's what God has called us as image bearers of his to bring that flourishing into whatever we do. Into whatever we do. Man, I mean, isn't it interesting, right? When Jesus comes back and the end comes, he doesn't put us back in the garden and say, hey, hey don't screw this up this time, Right? He plants us in the city. He plants us in the city. Flourishing has taken place the whole time. And I think when we begin to see this picture of the cultural mandate and we present that to our youth, it's like, hey, you know what? It is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But man, it is so much greater than that. The impact that Christ is calling us to have on the world, it's not just personal salvation. It's cultural renewal. It's creational restoration. Man, that is God's picture. We need to get God's vision in our heart for what's required of us and what's required of the church. The cultural mandate. Questions? Through what? Cultural transformation influencing cultural Through God's people. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, if we can't if we can't get it here, we're gonna struggle doing it anywhere else. Again, if we can't do it in our families, we're gonna struggle doing that anywhere else. Right? It starts it, it starts with the individual. Then the marriage, then the family. If you're single, it's still, I mean, you've got influence even as a single. You've got great influence. Praise God for that. Praise God. Our hope is not in this world, but we still have a responsibility to steward God's creation well. We must not abandon it. Somebody just came in and asked me today at the store, and they said, do you, do you think God's going to bring revival or is his judgment just on us? And I said, you know, only God can bring revival, and only God knows if he's going to bring revival. But I can tell you this, if he doesn't bring revival, we're done. The judgment is on us. And I said, but you know what? Whether God brings revival or his judgment is on us, it doesn't change what he's called us to do. It doesn't change us. Man, we can get so wrapped up in the moment of, oh, it's, everything's bad, everything's bad, everything's bad, that we forget to do what God's called us to do, to go and create a culture of flourishing. 
It doesn't make a difference whether revival comes or not. What he has called us to has not changed. Now, uh, Kevin? Mm-hmm. It says, but seek the welfare of the city for I sent you. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. And its welfare it will watch over you. So then our temptation is kind of like, all right, we'll kind of just close the shutters and hunt her down. And they're arguably in much worse need to go put our history books in the past, but far beyond what they're getting right now. Yeah. Yeah, the principle is there for us to grab onto. That man, wherever God plants you, you are to work for the welfare of that city, that community, that family. Whatever it is, you're called to to work for the welfare of that. Again, the events don't change the mission. The events don't change the mission. God's called us to that. And he called us to that before the fall. We have the cultural mandate before the fall. The fall doesn't change the mandate. It just makes it harder to do. It just makes it harder to do. But we're not to shrink from that as followers of Christ. We are not to shrink from that. So caring counts, right? The Bible's true. We can give all kinds of evidence to support the truth of Scripture. But if, again, I've already talked about this. If we act like jerks, we shouldn't. Um, there's no place in God's kingdom for if they go to hell, that's their choice. Forget it. That is not an option for us. And again, yeah, I was talking with this young man yesterday, an agnostic. And I, I have lots of conversations with atheists and, and other belief systems. Man, there's an easier way to bring fruit. I I can just tell you, there's an easier way to bring fruit. That is a hard road to walk. But we don't quit just because the low-hanging fruit is gone. Man, we keep pursuing people the way Christ pursues us. If there's no low-hanging fruit, start climbing the tree. It's going to take work. God's called us to that. So caring counts, right? We should care for people, for culture, and for creation because, well, God does. We're His children, and all people are His image bearers. That's why we should care. Because God does, we're His children, and everybody's His image bearer. You see the transgenders and the transvestites marching in the streets and the parades and stuff. They're image bearers that have gone deeply, deeply astray from God's purpose and design, but they're image bearers and they're worthy of the gospel of Christ. They're worthy of our time. They're worthy of our prayers. So what God cares about, God cares about His glory. He cares about His glory. As I said, they're thinking, I probably should have told you this. I'll always start class on time, but I rarely end on time. So just, anyway, just forget it. <laughs> right? The heavens declare the glory of God. Right? The city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the lamp is the lamb. All have fallen short of his glory. We exchange the glory of God for created images. God cares about his glory. He cares that we bear his image well. He cares. All humanity is created in his image. When we fail to bear his image, even our good deeds contribute to the evil of the world. James chapter 2. Even our good deeds contribute to the evil of the world when we fail to bear his image. The Imago Dei. God cares that we love our neighbors. Even the neighbors that don't mow their yard, they park in front of your house, let their dogs barking all the time at night. Love your neighbor. 
Doesn't say love the dog. You don't, okay, <laughs> love the neighbor. Anesthesia. Anesthesia, right? He cares that we love our neighbors, right? When we love our neighbors, we're bearing his image and he is glorified. Right? First Peter chapter 4, 10 and 11. How are we to care? Godly caring is rooted in wisdom. Without wisdom, we cannot create a culture of human flourishing. Godly caring is, is rooted in worthiness. A worthy life is based on such virtues as prudence, charity, hope, and faith around which the world of humanity turns. A worthy life is an outward-focused life. A selfish life is an inward-focused life. Godly, godly caring is rooted in his words. Well-spoken words can breathe life and hope into people's lives. Man, has, has this ever happened? I know it has, right? Somebody just came up at the right moment and just spoke a word of encouragement to you, and it just changed your day. And no doubt you've done that. Man, a well-spoken word. Right? Ill-spoken words bring death and despair into people's lives. Right? We owe it to those around us to speak the truth in love. In love. Right? The truth without love is legalism. Love without truth is progressivism. So shalom. It's peace, it's tranquility and prosperity. It's more than peace, right? It's the path by which we bear God's image and how we care for our neighbor's well-being. All right, in Jeremiah 24-7, that's what uh, Kevin was just, was just quoting. He was talking about this. That word welfare, that, the Hebrew word there, it's shalom. It's shalom. Givers and takers, man, takers, they look inward and they do all of these other things. They tolerate people, they grow needier, they fill their lives with stuff, they don't have, they don't leave others better off, right? It just goes on and on and on. Those are, those are takers. You know, there's a culture of narcissism. We literally live in a narcissistic culture today. I mean, that is the spirit of the age. Right? A narcissist is a person who displays a high level of selfishness, vanity, and pride. He sees everything from how does this affect me? Narcissism is a personal problem that morphs into a cultural problem, which leads to a Vanity, materialism, uniqueness, antisocial behavior, relationship troubles, entitlement, self-centered religion, kind of working through Ecclesiastes now, and it's just all of this stuff that keeps flooding back. And you're like, okay, I got you. It's a culture of narcissism. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4, it says, But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Stamp today on it. Stamp today on it. We're there. Givers, they look outward. They invest in people, not things. Um, they gain favor with God. They leave a legacy that points others to Christ. Givers are generous. Givers put the needs of others ahead of their own. Givers look and act more like Christ. Be a giver. Be a giver. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 5. This is almost my life verse because I need to say it all the time. But do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, consider others more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but the also the interest of others, having this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Man, we need that. We need that in the church today. So we develop into takers or givers through the countless choices we make every day. We're responsible for whether we're givers or takers. We own that. Choose daily to be a giver. Man, I just want to read this to you. It's from, uh, I love this book. It's J.I. Packer's, it's Knowing God. 
and he talks about it in there. Actually, he's telling a story that somebody else talks about it, but he just shares it. And so uh, just forgive me. I just want to read this to you for a moment. Um, and it says, now this book is for travelers, and it's with travelers' questions that it deals says, the conviction behind the book is that ignorance of God, ignorance of both His ways and the practice of communion with Him lies at the root of much of the church's weakness today. Two unhappy trends have produced this state of affairs. Um, yeah. Okay. Oh, let me back up. And this, it's uh, a preface to a Christian theology. It's by John McKay. He's talking about, he talks about balconiers and he talks about travelers. And he's, uh, and he said, he illustrated two kinds of interest in Christian things by picturing persons sitting on a high, a high front balcony of a Spanish house, watching travelers go by on the road below. The balconiers can hear, overhear the travelers talk and chat with them. They may comment critically on the way that the travelers walk or the way, or they may discuss com or comment critically on the way the travelers walk, or they may discuss questions about the road, how it can exist at all, or lead anywhere that might be seen different from points along the way, and so forth. But the onlookers, but they are onlookers, and their problems are theoretical only. The travelers, by contrast, they face problems which, though they have their theoretical angle, are essentially practical, problems of which way to go and how to make it type of problems, which call not merely for comprehension but for decision and action. Balconiers and travelers may think over the same area, yet their problems differ. Thus, for instance, in relation to evil, balconiers' problems is to find a theoretical explanation of how evil can consist with God's sovereignty and goodness. But the traveler's problem is how to master evil and bring good out of it. Or again, in relation to sin, the balconiers ask whether racial sinfulness and personal perversity are really credible, while the traveler, knowing sin from within, asks what hope is there of deliverance. Or take the problem of the Godhead, while the balconier is asking how one God can conceivably be three, what sort of unity three could have, and how three who could make one person. The traveler wants to know how to show proper honor, love, and trust toward the three persons who are now together at work to bring him out of sin and glory, and so we might go on. And I just love that story, and it just struck me as, man, right? Balconiers just talk theoretically about things. But man, travelers are literally taking the truths of God to wherever their feet take them. Man, they're engaging the culture wherever they go. Man, this class is for travelers. Man, if you're just looking for theory, man, I, I got a ton of books in the bookstore that'll give it to you. They're for sale. They're for sale, by the way. Yeah, they're for sale. Sorry about that. Man, this is for travelers. God, with the cultural mandate, has called us to go and engage the culture with the cause of Christ to further his kingdom wherever your feet take you. Questions, problems, concerns? I have one comment which kind of wraps up the first idea you had about the moment in the story where we talked about Facebook. Uh -huh. And I see myself, I, I mean, I would love to have this idea that I'm just a giver, but I'm a taker too. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we get those moments. We get those moments where it's like, I'm tired of giving. And my wife would say, I'm not sure how you could be tired of giving, right? We can have our taker moments. It's how do we respond when God convicts us of it? You know, that becomes the question. How do we respond when God convicts us for being takers and not givers? All right, let me... Wow, look at that. We're almost on time. I'm going to close this in prayer. Again, next week it'll be tactics. We'll spend two weeks on tactics. Again, the book, if you want it, it's in the bookstore. Cheaper than Amazon. Um, and, we'll, and we'll go from there. But let me close this in prayer. Oh, Lord, we pray that we would be faithful with all that you put before us this day, this week, this life. For, Lord, we want to be faithful as you were faithful. Lord, we want to be travelers. 
We want to be givers because you call us to be. Because, Lord Jesus, you are a traveler. You are a giver. And we want to be conformed into your image. And so, Lord, we just pray for opportunities to just to exude your love and your truth, your mercy and your grace as we go through this week. Uh, Lord, may we speak your truth with love. I pray for each person, Lord, that you'd lead them to those meaningful conversations. Lord, that you would open those doors and you would fill their mouths with the words to speak. Lord, may all that we do and say bring glory to your name, sweet Jesus. And it's in your mighty and matchless name we ask these things. Amen.